Amen. It's good to see your faces this morning. It's good to see all those who are joining us online this morning as well. What a day to be a follower of Jesus Christ in the United States of America. I know there may be some days you say, what a day. But by faith, we say, what a day. We have been put here on purpose, by purpose, by God's sovereign design, choice, and will for this day, for this time. You are no accident. You are not here by chance. You have been placed here by a sovereign God for his purposes at this time. What a weekend to celebrate freedom in our country. I'm sure you gathered with family and friends yesterday, ate some good food, had some good discussion, prayed for our country. We did. And uh, we smoked a pretty, pretty big brisket. It was really good, really big brisket, 16 pounds. Truett and I took turns over 24 hours watching that thing smoke. He took the late night shift, which I was grateful for. It's good. When you smoke a brisket, the key is low and slow. And yeah, amens on that. And it takes some work. Unless you've got one of these, you know, really nice pellet smokers that, sorry, kind of does all the work for you, you know, which is great. I mean, I love it. I just don't have one of those. I've got the kind of little firebox on the side. And so, you, you know, I'm feeding it with pecan wood from our own yard that's aged to perfection. It was really nice. So I uh, did a couple of things this year to make the experience better. I put a new temperature dial on my smoker. The other one was way off. So I've been smoking for a couple of years and frustrated with the results because the temperature gauge was broken. It wasn't telling me the accurate temperature. So I was getting a product at the end based off what I thought the gauge was saying, but because the gauge was so far off, mm, made a mess of things. So I bought a brand new temperature gauge for my smoker, but also so that I could check the temperature of the meat itself. Look at that. Brand new, instant read thermometer. You just take that, it's digital. You take that, you just stick it in the meat and boop, it tells you the temperature right away. In fact, it's reading the temperature in the room right now. It tells me it's uh, 77 up here on the stage. So, ah, it's dropping, 76. So this is important. It's important if you're gonna smoke a brisket to be continually aware of the temperature of the meat. You have to continually be assessing the temperature because if you don't cook it long enough, it won't be done and it won't be tender. If you cook it too long, it'll be overdone and burnt tasting. So it's all about the temperature of the meat, the temperature of the smoker, and keeping that wood going and watching it continually, continually assessing the situation and having a good thermometer can help you do that. This one is so nice. It's got little magnets here. You just stick them on the side of your grill or your smoker. Just thunk, stays right there. It's really nice. So, yeah, I was grateful for that little Amazon purchase. You might wonder, what in the world does that have to do with this message? A lot. You see, when Jesus talked to his disciples, he said, you are the light of the world. I want you to notice what he said and what he did not say. He did not say... I want you to try really, really, really hard to be the light of the world. He didn't say that. 
He didn't say, do your best to light the world. He didn't say, try really hard to get them to follow you. It's not what Jesus said. He said, you are the light of the world. Then he said, let your light so shine in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So know this, we are the light of the world. We should shine in such a way that they see in us Jesus and glorify him. So what is happening out there, believe it or not, is a product of what's happening in here because we are the light of the world. It doesn't exist out there anywhere if it does not exist in us. Part of our responsibility then is to be continually assessing the temperature of the product, of the room, of the culture, and asking the question, God, what do you want us to do now? Because we are the light of the world. We have been commissioned as ambassadors for Christ. So we have to be continually assessing the situation. We are the ones keeping a temperature gauge into the situation, asking God, now what must we do to so shine in such a way that they will see what we do and glorify you, Father? In the Old Testament, 1 Chronicles 12, it says there was a group of people who knew how to do this well. They're referred to as the sons of Issachar. And here's what it says about them. They had an understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. You see, God had chosen his people, Israel, to be the model icon nation. Here's what it looks like for a people to follow God. He didn't choose them because they were smarter, more righteous. He just chose them, just like he chooses you and me. Not because of anything in us, but because he chooses us. And he set Israel up and said, here's what it looks like. Abraham, I'm going to bless you and the nations that come from you so that you will be a blessing to others. You are going to be the icon model nation the same way that Jesus called you and I to be the light of the world, the ambassadors for him. There is a weighty responsibility on us as followers of Jesus Christ to be assessing, aware of, understanding our culture and what is happening. It was there when God commissioned Abraham that he first used the word nation. And he set up this principle that is given to us in Psalm 33 in its shortest format. And here it is. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Straightforward, not hard to understand or interpret. There is a blessing for the people group, for the nation, 
the families, the heritage that says, God, you are Lord. Any nation that would adopt this would be blessed. It was the way God set up the Old Testament for Israel to be the icon model so that all nations would know, here's what it looks like to be blessed by God. You reverence him. You follow him. You walk in his ways. You do so by faith. You do so in the dark. You do so in the night. You do so on the good days. You do so on the bad days. You trust him above all other things. So when Moses was given the law, the law would describe the blessings, the actual blessings that would come. You can make a note later and look at Deuteronomy 28, and you'll find there blessings that came to the people of God when they walked in his ways, when they practiced this verse. But you'll also find in that same book the consequences that would come. Because there would be times in Israel's, what we now know of as history, for them it was future, when they would walk away from God. And God wrote down very specific consequences that would happen to them if they walked away. Here are some things that will begin to happen to you. And he lists them there. The Old Testament tells the story of nations who chose to walk away from him and they began to face the consequences. Not because he was angry and out to get them, but because he wanted their heart. And when your heart drifts away, sometimes you need some harsh circumstances to come along and put your heart back in the right spot. Amen? Sometimes you start walking in a path, you start walking in your own reliance, you start walking your own ways, you start walking in your own emotions, in your own feelings, in your own preferences, and when you do, you begin to neglect God, you begin to pull away from him, you begin to say, no God, I'm not going to walk in your ways, it feels better to do this, I like it better if I do this, I want to do this, and so they choose to do that, and when that happens... God says, I'm going to bring a set of circumstances about in your life. I'm going to bring about some things that will help you get back to a place where your heart is fully trusting me. And so we see through the history of Israel, there were times when they walked away. And as a result, they faced great economic trouble. They were in large amounts of debt to others. Physical disease without cure would begin to ravage their land. Threats and wars from other nations would begin to happen. There would be turmoil within. There would be social stress and tension. Rebellion would arise in children. The family would begin to break down. Immorality began to run rampant. There began to be unusual pest issues. Locust, hello. All of these were an attempt to get the people of God to stop and say, wait a minute, something's not right here. We have lost our way because all of a sudden we are experiencing some impossibilities in our life some things that we don't know the answers for, we can't find resolve for. And no matter how much we work at it, no matter how much money we throw at it, no much, 
no matter how much time we put into it, we can't find a resolve for it. In fact, the more we put ourselves into it, the worse it seems to get. Remind you of anything like today? This is a pattern established by God. The scripture bears it out over and over again. It's why God would write in Deuteronomy 11 for the people of God. He would say, take heed to yourself, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land in which the Lord is giving you. He says, when you come upon good times, don't let your heart be deceived in those moments. Don't let your heart drift. If you do, God is faithful to bring you back in line. It's always been true because that's what God has decreed and promised. Not too long ago, I came across uh, a man's writing. His name is Alexander Tyler. He wrote in 1780. Seven. Just let that sit there for just a moment. 1787. He wrote about his historical observation of nations and what he had observed over time as the process or the cycle in which nations operate. I want to use his cycle combined with scripture today letting scripture be our ultimate guide to put us at some point today where we can say, what is the state of America today? Where are we as a people group? I'll talk about the church in the midst of this, but I want to speak more generally today about the state of America. And here's the deal, because we are citizens of America Whatever is happening with the whole is happening with the parts. If I take my family for a ride in, a, in my car, number one, I couldn't fit them all in, but back in the day, we used to be able to. And when I got behind that wheel, I knew there was all of a sudden this extra weight of responsibility because I had my wife and five kids back there. And I knew that how I drove could affect and would affect their lives. And they may have not done anything wrong, but if I lost my attention, got distracted, was reckless, they would all suffer the price because of a decision I made. Because we live in a nation, there are consequences that come to everyone, sometimes because of the actions of a few. Amen? So we have to accept our responsibility as the church in this process. Let's get back to Alexander Tyler's cycle of nations. Uh, here's what he wrote. He said that, that nations began in a place of bondage. Most great cultures all began in a place where they were once in a place of servitude, trouble, bondage. And it was out of that quest to be free that they were born. So we know this is true of God's people as they are 
in Egypt, in forced labor, in forced worship. Their children are dying. They cry out for God to deliver them, and God sends a deliverer in Moses. We know this is true in our own nation as a people group who says we don't like excessive taxation. We don't like oppression. We want the freedom to worship. We want to cry out to God for our freedom, and they do. Great nations are born out of a place of bondage, in pain, of need, and they cry out and say, God, please, God, we're desperate. We cry out to you in this moment. We need you. This is where great nations are born, from a place of bondage. Tyler went on to say that then the second cycle of success is when there is faith. That when those people have a movement of faith within them, it says, God, we trust you. We're desperate for you. So we cry out to you and we will do what you say in this moment, not what we see, not trust in what we can see, but we will trust in what you say. And faith arises in that moment. The children of Israel choose to follow Moses out to a moment where they are facing the Red Sea and it takes great faith to walk out into that sea and they do. Great faith is the next step that comes in the birth of a nation. It happens for our own country as well. What's not talked about a whole lot regarding the birth of our nation is that in the early 1700s, there was a time called the Great Awakening, where great men of God are traveling up and down the East and they are preaching the gospel. And people are being saved and people are repenting of their sin and churches are coming together and men of God and women of God are committing to follow him with their whole lives and they are, they are committing everything to him. They choose to walk in his ways, to do away with their sin, do away with their old ways and walk completely in his ways. This is what happens in the birth of great nations. There is a time of bondage, but there is great faith in which they cry out to God which leads to the next phase, which is the place of courage. When that same people group chooses to trust God, then they begin to act with great courage. Then they begin to do things that they wouldn't normally do. Then they begin to exercise some sacrifice that cost them something. And we see this with the people of God as well. As they begin to enter toward, or walk toward the promised land, and they're trusting God, they go through times of despair, times of disobedience, Joshua becomes the leader and he leads them to a place where there is a walled city named Jericho. And God says, you're going to have to march around this city seven times and give praise to me. And when you do, the walls of that city will fall. You see, this is going to take great courage because that just doesn't make sense logically. But they obey, they do, they trust God, they have great courage, and they walk up, shout after walking around, and sure enough, the walls fall. This is what happens in the cycle of nations. When there's great faith and you continue to walk in it, there'll be a call from God to have great courage, and you walk in that courage, and you'll see results of that. It happened in the birth of our own nation as well. Faith would have to be followed with courage. There'd have to be an event called the Boston Tea Party. There'd have to be a revolutionary war. 
There'd have to be times when people stood up for their freedoms and stood up for what they believed in and put faith into practice. This is what courage is. As a result, when there is great courage based in faith, there will be liberty. There'll be freedom that follows. There'll be a time of rejoicing. There'll be a time of celebration. People are truly set free. A declaration of independence is signed. The people of God enter into a promised land, and there's a period of great liberty. People are set free. The Bill of Rights is signed in our own country. Civil war rages, but a new president is elected, and Abraham Lincoln and the 13th Amendment is signed, bringing an end to slavery. There begins to be great liberty when a people walk in courage, when a people walk in faith. And then the next phase is a time of great abundance. For those who walk in this by faith, have great courage, fight for liberty, set the captives free, there is a result of abundance. There is a time of prosperity. There's a time of experiencing the blessing that comes as a result of those who have sacrificed, given their lives, had vision, had hope, worked hard, gave of everything that they had so that they might be free, so that their children might be free, so that their grandchildren might be free. They do this and they experience a time of abundance. Now, this is part of Tyler's cycle. It just happens to fit scripture so well. But I'm going to interrupt his cycle here with what I believe Scripture teaches because we can see this pattern in nations and you can see this own pattern in your own life. You know that it has happened. What ought to follow next is what God taught his people in the book of Deuteronomy. He told them you're going to enter into your land one day and when you do, he said, when you get into your land and you end up living in houses that you didn't build and you end up with treasures that you didn't have to work for, you end up with land that you didn't have to break ground for, when all of that happens, he says, don't forget me. Remember, it was given to you as a gift. Remember and be grateful. So what ought to happen in the cycle of nations next is the word gratefulness. This is what ought to happen. When you come into a, a family, when you come into generations, when you come into a place where you have received greatly, you should be gratefully grateful, extremely grateful. Because you're going to, and you and I have, received things that we didn't work for. We set in liberty today that I'm going to venture to say few of us in this room went to war and fought for, if any. In fact, as time has passed, it's difficult for us to even put a memory with a person in a family, our own family, that we say, yes, my uncle, cousin, brother, sister, fought in a war and gave their life for me. They're out there for sure, but it's hard for us to know those because time has passed. But gratefulness ought to be our response for receiving such a great gift. It's a thing you teach your children, you know? It's, it's the thing you want them to know 
You don't realize how much it cost me to get this for you. You don't know what links I had to go through. They say, can I have it now? Oh, thank you. <laughs> right? I mean, that's what our, our kids, are, they do that. That's just natural for them. They have no frame of reference for what it cost us. Hello? And you're like, well, we're, so, we're more thankful than that. And we teach them to say thank you, but because they don't have a frame of reference, sometimes they forget to express gratefulness. They forget to thank God. They forget to thank others. Gratefulness ought to be the next part of the cycle. And then beyond that, the next part ought to be a sense of humility. This is what ought to characterize a nation. Great humility in saying we did not come here by our own strength. We've come here because God brought us here. Others have fought for us to be here. A deep sense of humility of putting others ahead of yourself. A deep sense of humility of going out of your way to put someone else first. To recognize, to appreciate, to let them go first. To, in a sense, wash their feet out of gratefulness. And then what follows from there is great sacrifice. I choose now to give to those who sacrifice for me. I choose to give up. I choose to limit what I have so that someone else can have freedom, followed by service and followed by vision. This ought to be, this ought to be the complete cycle of nations that keeps a people group walking in God's ways. This ought to be what happens for us. This is why Jesus told his disciples, now... Now that you've seen what I've done for you, you didn't do for yourselves. Now that I laid down my life for you, now go, therefore, and make disciples. There's vision attached. Go and do likewise. Do what I've done for you. Love as I have loved you. Forgive as I have forgiven you. Do for others now. Go and set the captives free. This is what you and I are called to. This is the complete cycle. This is how you walk in health and life. And this is what, hap this is what ought to happen even in a nation. But right away, you probably are drawing some conclusions and saying, yeah, that's not where we are today. Amen? It's not. This is not where we are today. Instead, I want to interrupt his cycle and go back to a phase, this one right here, of abundance. Because what happens next is what has happened to us, I believe, as a nation and Tyler wrote in his cycle that this is often the next phase, and it is this, complacency. All of a sudden, you have received abundance, and because you either weren't taught or you choose to not admit or express gratefulness, you, we, become complacent. It's easy to all of a sudden just take the benefits for granted to assume that this is the way it's always been. None of us, well, I'm gonna draw it back real tight. Me, I've never known what it was like to not wake up in a house with air conditioning and heating in it. But my mom and dad told me stories of how they grew up, and my dad was born in 1918, if that gives you a frame of reference. A very, very different life. I've never known of not having air conditioning and heating. So the minute I wake up, and it's 76 in my house, I'm like, what's wrong with the air conditioner? And I'm getting all frustrated and tense, and 
because I have an expectation. I have a, a complacency about what I have received and just expect it to be there all the time. And we get complacent and don't do the things that even our forefathers did to get us to this place. And when you allow complacency to set in, when you allow complacency to just grab a hold of regular life and all of a sudden pleasure becomes more important to you than sacrifice, then you move on down to the next level, which is this, selfishness. The minute complacency sets in, you're on a slope that'll take you right on down to a place of great selfishness because you expect this is the way it's been that it ought to be done for me. And when expectation enters your heart, you're gonna be in a bad spot. When you expect things to be done for you, when you expect people to treat you a certain way, when you expect to be given certain gifts, when you expect to be admired, when you expect to be appreciated, when you expect, 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 you have entered a place that is in a slope downward and it follows complacency. And it's a selfish spot. And when a nation becomes selfish, it becomes consumed with only itself. A nation was never meant to become that. God told Abraham, I have blessed you so that you would be a blessing to others. Blessing was never meant to put you in a place of ah, ease. You were blessed to be a blessing. Complacency leads to selfishness. Selfishness leads to deserving. I now deserve. I am in the place of gimme, gimme, gimme. We used to read a story to our kids. It was a little children's book about... Um, what was his name? Buzzle Billy. Buzzle Billy had a problem. Buzzle Billy expected things to be given to him. He wanted what his friends had. And he would say, give me that. Give me that. And the story goes in this little book for kids that every time Buzzle Billy had this give me attitude, he would grow an extra hand. And so it's this comical look for kids of this little creature with about 10 hands coming out. And wherever he goes, he's, give me, give me that, give me that, give me that. He's deserving, he's expecting, he's taking everything he thinks he deserves. And pretty soon, guess what happens to Buzzle Billy? Nobody wants to be around Buzzle Billy because he has gimme hands. It's the story of Buzzle Billy. Parents, check that out for your kids. They'll love it. It's a great, great teaching tool. But boy, it happens nationally. It happens over time. It happens when a people forget God. It happens when a people remove truth and faith from center to side. When all of a sudden faith and fellowship with the saints and worship and teaching and scripture gets moved over to like, you know, that would be better if it was only just a couple of days a week. Maybe just one day a week. Maybe just part of a day of a week. Let's keep all of that stuff over here 
because boy, I got a lot of stuff I'm doing over here. And you get to the place where all of a sudden this has no relevance with this. And all of a sudden you are wondering, God, where's my time going? Where's my money going? Where's my life going? Where's my health going? What is going on, God? We're not through with our cycle yet. We'll come back to that. When you allow a deserving attitude to come in personally or nationally, you get to the next spot, which is demanding. Deserving is different than demanding. Demanding is when you stand up and say, I demand this to be given to me. Not only do I feel like I deserve it, but I'm going to let it be known that it belongs to me. And I need to have it. And I must have it. And I will get it. Now, I'm sure you're noticing that we're drawing to a close on this cycle of nations. There's not many spots left. And what we're about to arrive at is the end of a nation, according to Alexander Tyler. But not just him, God's word as well. Even our own founding fathers realized the potential danger of a day when selfishness, demanding, and deserving would become the rule. Benjamin Franklin wrote this. When the people find that they can vote themselves money, that will herald the end of the republic. When people forget the value of work, when people forget the value of faith, when people forget the value of others, when people set those things aside and demand and deserve and expect to be given to without any work sacrifice, you are close to the end, Benjamin Franklin said. The last spot on here actually completes the cycle. It's the cycle piece of dependence which is another word for bondage. The cycle is now, sadly, complete. The people that started with such great faith from their place of servitude and frustration and tears and loss trusted God and they walked through this cycle along the way became complacent, selfish, deserving, demanding, and then they became dependent. They became dependent upon their own flesh. They became dependent upon their own feelings. They lost the will to work. They lost the will to serve. They became angry. They became slaves to their passions, became slaves to their feelings, slaves to their demands. And when that happens, you are right back where you started. You're back in the place of bondage. Deuteronomy 8, God addressed it early on. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full, abundance, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, 
and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You forgot where you came from. You forgot what got you here. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. Sad words from the God who had established freedom for his people. He said, if you get to the place where as a nation you forget me, you will perish. Verse 20 of that chapter says, as the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. In other words, there's going to come into your life and into your nation troubles, struggles, disease, hardships, impossibilities. You're going to face some circumstances that though you will throw all your time and money and energy at it, you will not find the answers because you have neglected the Lord your God. And you, you can spend money for it. You can arrange government for it. You can claim that government is your answer or that your political party is your answer or that your person is the answer. And God will say, I'm just going to blow on all of that because it is of no value. Because I have established one thing and one thing alone that determines the success of a nation. And it's the soul of that nation. Our problem today, hear me and hear me well, our problem today is not our economic situation. Our problem today is not our political situation. Our problem today is not our governmental situation. Our problem today is not our social situation. Our problem today is not even a problem with physical disease. Our problem today is that we as a nation have turned our backs on God flat, completely. And that is the problem. And you might, well, let's look at a verse. We're going somewhere. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 is one you've mostly heard. 2 Chronicles 7, 13 is what I want us to look at this morning for just a moment. God says to his people, When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. Mm. When you start facing impossibilities, when you start facing struggles... When all of a sudden you come upon some situations and you don't know what to do about it. When you reach the place of impossibility. These are impossibilities that he just described. Those were difficult situations. Those in their day were impossibilities. If they showed up in our day, they'd be impossibilities. And what's happening in our nation today is a room full of impossibilities. Hello? There's so many situations. Our church staff sits down and we try to make plans for the rest of the summer. And we've kind of just given up at this point. You know, it's like, all right, no more three-month plans. I'm a big planner, by the way. You already know that. No more three-week plans. I told them, I said, we're planning one week at a time. Because who knows what's going to happen this next week? 
I thought I knew this past Monday what today was going to be like. Lord help us. It didn't turn out like that at all. It's crazy. You never know what's going to happen when you turn on the news or click on Facebook. I just like every day I'm like, Heather, did you see this? No. Well, here we go. Or she's, did you see this? No. Here we go. As Brianna said earlier, God, by his design, brings us to impossibilities. The impossibilities we are facing today are not because of someone's governmental, political, economic, social decision. We are in an impossibility today because of God's sovereign choice. He is attempting to bring us to a place. Second Chronicles 7, 14 says this, Therefore, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, here's the answer. You notice nowhere in this verse as you say, you need to get a better political system. You need to get a better economic system. You need to get a better social system. He says, no, the answer for your impossibilities is to turn to me, to humble yourselves and to pray and passionately, desperately seek my face and turn for your wicked ways in the midst of all of it. Make some significant changes to your life. Stop doing what you've been doing. Get rid of those petty sins. Change that attitude. Forgive that person. Repent of that attitude you've got. All of that's gotta go because the issue in the land today is not economical, social, or anything else out there, the answer is in here. It's spiritual first. It always has been. It always will be. And that's why the people of God have to stand up first and say repentance begins with me. Amen. That's what has to happen. Amen. Now here's the struggle. People in the world today get caught up with what in the world does this have to do with all that? What in the world does faith have to do with our economic situation? What in the world does faith have to do with education? What in the world does faith have to do with international relations? What in the world does faith have to do with our social climate today? What in the world does disease have to do with faith in this moment? It has everything to do with it. That's the problem. We live in a nation that has said, what does this have to do with that? It has everything to do with it. And you can't keep ignoring all of that and say it has nothing to do with this. It has everything to do with it. Now, before we get to feeling good about ourselves in here, let's just be clear about some things. We are the light of the world, and they are only doing what they've seen us do. God, what in the world does my pleasure have to do with my faith? Shouldn't I be able to do what I want when I want if I feel like it in my own privacy, my own home, on my own phone? 
you and I play the same game. What does this have to do with that? God, what is... What does what I do on the internet have to do with my faith? God, what does what I do in my own free time have to do with my faith? God, what does my own anger and bitterness and resentment I hold toward people have to do with my faith? God, what does my health have to do with my faith? God, what do my relationships have to do with my faith? They have everything to do with your faith. God is after our hearts. He wants to bless us, but he cannot bless a people whose hearts are not open and humble and willing to receive what he has said, who are not willing to repent of their sin, who are not willing to walk in his ways. There'll be no blessing for the nation or the person who won't say that Jesus is Lord. That's where we started today. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the person whose God is the Lord. It's time for repentance to happen. And it happened in us. It's time for prayer to happen. And it happened in us. I don't know what you sense in this day and time. I sense something different in the air than I've sensed before. I sense resistance that I haven't sensed before. I sense rebellion in the air that I haven't sensed before. But I am confident that God has placed you and I here for this time. If he didn't want us to be here, we wouldn't be here. And if you're here, you've got a purpose. Don't think that what you have in your heart, this, has nothing to do with that. Because our faith has everything to do with what's going on out there. If not, God wouldn't have said, when you start experiencing cataclysmic issues that are impossible for you to resolve, I call my people to humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways because we have believed the lie that this has nothing to do with that. So I've been on my face before God, in my heart at least, this past week, saying, God, what are, you, what are you calling me to? What's the next step for me? What is it you want me to do? Because every step, word, and attitude is a vital part in what's happening out there. And I want to live in a land that's free. I want my children to continue living in a land that's free. I want my children and my great-grandchildren to know a land that's free, that recognizes blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Amen?
The promise finishes in 2 Chronicles 7.14 with this. God says, then, if you do all that, I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin, and then I'll heal their land. When I look at it today, I think, oh, Lord, how is this ever going to get untangled? How is this ever going to get resolved? And I start thinking in terms of time, and I just get lost in it. But God can do a miracle and bring about change in rapid time, heal hearts and heal our land and take it to a place it has never been before. I don't want to go back to 1776. (laughs) I want to go into the future where Jesus is glorified in the United States of America. Amen? Amen. All right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. In fact, I'm not going to pray. I want to invite us to pray. And if you're able to today and would like to, I'd encourage you to even get on your knees beside your seat. If you can't, it's totally fine, no judgment. I'd ask you to do that with me. And after we've had some time, if you want to pray with someone near you, awesome. If you just want to pray in silence, awesome. But let us do this now because this has everything to do with that. Amen? Let's spend some time praying.